it's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays presented to you by Film Seizure. For this week, I'm going to talk about one of the very, uh, one of the kind of very top tier giant monster movies of the 50s. This is 1954's Them, directed by Gordon Douglas. Now, uh, before we get too much into this here, holding uh, what i'm holding here in my hand right now is the uh, warner archive collection from warner brothers dvd for them and uh, i just want to read to you what they have on here at the very top of this box that is the best tagline i've ever seen for any movie on any poster or any uh, vhs or dvd box it reads a horror horde of crawl and crush giants clawing out of the earth from mile deep catacombs. That's about the, uh, just reading that alone. I don't care if the movie's fried green tomatoes. I'm buying it just just for that uh, little tagline there. But as I said, this is uh, directed by Gordon Douglas. Now Gordon Douglas kind of had an interesting career. He worked from 1935 to 1977 as a director um he did do some um uh stuff with hal roach studios which by the way i want to really call that out we're talking about a, a movie about giant bugs here and, and he, the the guy who directed it got to start with hal roach you kidding me right but anyway he was uh, he did do some our gang shorts which are the you know little rascals guys and uh he also assisted in, on some uh laurel and hardy shorts uh in like 33 34 somewhere around there but um once he started kind of directing his own features he did of course them which is uh, highly highly thought of uh in the monster genre particularly the post uh, nuclear age atomic age monster movies but uh he did movies like the really really popular uh kind of james bond uh clone for american audiences in like flint uh he also did the sequel to in the heat of the night which was called they call me mr tibbs and his final film was uh, Viva Knievel, which uh, starred Evil Knievel himself. And I always like to call this as kind of part of what I call Evil Knievel exploitation. Uh, there were a lot of movies in the 70s that either featured Evil Knievel, was a documentary about him, was a dramatized movie about him, or uh, had a character like him. And uh, it, that's definitely, uh, I, I think, uh, a reason to call it something along the lines of an exploitation subgenre. But um, really, Douglas ended up working with a whole bunch of really big people like Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, James Cagney, Liberace, Doris Day, Errol Flynn. He worked with some of the best of the best people, and uh, but he never really made anything that really kind of necessarily stood out in its own or was kind of award worthy or anything like that. He just was a solid director. Now, uh, there are a handful of pretty good stars in this movie. In fact, once we get to the end of this episode and I start talking about my three likes, definitely the cast is one of them. But um, the primary two stars, uh, the first is James Whitmore. Now, James Whitmore, he had a long-ass career, too. Uh, but he was uh, an Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award winner. He was twice nominated for Oscars. Now, there's always that big, uh, what they call the EGOT uh, 
which are people who can win an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. Uh, James Whitmore was very, very close. Uh, he had two opportunities to, to get that Oscar, but it didn't quite work out. His 1975 Best Actor nomination was for uh, Give Him Hell Harry, where he played Harry Truman. That's a one-man show. So the dude had some acting chops for sure. Uh, the other primary star was James Arness. Now, of course, James Arness, we, we talked about him previously in uh, The Thing from Another World. But also, uh, you know, I mentioned that, the, of course, he was most uh, notable for being um, Marshall Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. Now, funny story about this. Disney uh, was brought to look at this film to potentially cast Arness as Davy Crockett. However... They ended up being a little bit more uh, wowed by uh, Fess Parker, who plays a very bit part in this, but an actual kind of important part in this, uh, where he's uh, being held up in a hospital uh, because he keeps saying that he saw uh, something when he was flying around that looked like something that was in the shape of an ant. And uh, they looked at that and said, that's the guy we want for, for Davy Crockett. However... Uh, John Wayne saw this movie and he was friends with uh, James Arness and, uh, and ended up striking up a friendship with him at least and remembered him for when uh, the Matt Dillon character came around for Gunsmoke he ended up uh, recommending James Arness off the strength of this movie so uh, and that, that started just like a year or two after this movie came out so I mean James Arness was right on the border of becoming an extremely popular television star um, another uh, big time actor in this was uh, is the part of this uh, kindly little old doctor that's an ant uh, professor or an ant scientist but uh, that's Edmund Gwynn now he's best known of playing Chris Kringle in uh, Miracle on 34th Street which in and of itself is a massively uh, popular movie and often gets played quite a bit during the Christmas season. So most people would know who he is, even if he isn't immediately recognizable in this movie because he's not dressed up like Santa Claus. Um, one other note, uh, Leonard Nimoy has a bit part as an army guy in one of the scenes in this. Uh, so, you know, this movie's not without some, um, some pretty popular people. Um, now, the production for this began in 1953. Now, originally, this was intended to be a color 3D movie. Um, however, um, the 3D test never happened because Warner Brothers had uh, this uh, 3D camera rig that ended up malfunctioning. And when they were able to finally get some of the 3D shots, uh, they weren't all that impressed with it. Uh, they didn't really want to do that. And without the 3D gimmick, they didn't really want to put the money in uh, to doing it in color. So they just shifted to widescreen black and white. Now, they hoped to emulate the shock and awe of a movie that they released the year before, which uh, I think if you listen to this episode or to the episode last week, you might uh, recognize the movie that they're hoping to emulate, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Again, somehow, a lot of these monster movies, kind of the, uh, the, the singularity that's in common with all of these movies is The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. But um, they still did the title card 
with the black and white backdrop and the red and blue um you know uh, title for the movie so they did keep that little bit of color uh to kind of help stick out a little bit now uh a lot of the shots that were set up for the 3d movie were also kept like people shooting flamethrowers towards the camera um you know various uh you know the, the the same old trickery that you often see with people sticking things in the camera they kept a lot of that now um the the ant effects in this were supervised by a fellow named ralph ayers um but it's not really it's much more of a mechanical thing and i'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of this episode but they used uh, some tree frogs and uh, some assorted birds to make the ants uh, voices in the movie so the movie begins with the new mexico state police uh, basically responding to a call uh, they find a little girl that's just kind of walking alone uh, and in shock essentially uh they check out a trailer that uh that is radioed to be kind of up the road a little bit and they find that that is wrecked and abandoned and they assume that whoever owned the trailer probably is the parents to this little girl that they found but um inside the trailer there's some money so it's not really a robbery or or anything crime related like that there is a bloody shirt and a gun but they also find a bunch of like sugar cubes kind of all over the place now as the investigators come uh, they hear bizarre chirping which uh, makes the little girl sit up in the back of the ambulance but then once it goes away she kind of goes back into her catatonic state um, so the two primary cops which uh, one is uh, ben peterson who is uh, james whitmore they go to a general store to see if the uh, elderly shop owner knows anything uh, or has seen anything but the store is a mess and uh, one of the walls has been uh, blown out basically and they find the body of the old man now uh peterson leaves his partner behind while he goes to talk to the investigators and get them to come by the general uh, store but the partner hears that chirping sound and goes outside to investigate and uh, fires on something unseen and then goes missing they discover that the trailer was indeed owned by an fbi agent on a two-month leave with his wife and two kids uh, this brings in FBI agent Robert Graham, who is uh, James Arness, to help out with the investigation. Now, the real mystery uh, is <laughs> kind of comes down to the amount of formic acid that was found in the body of the general store owner. And uh, so they bring in or they end up meeting with uh, Dr. Harold Medford and his uh, doctor daughter, Pat uh to basically take a look at the case now they are specifically uh myrmecologists who are scientists who study ants and dr medford is able to use formic acid to uh, shock the little girl out of her catatonic state and she just keeps screaming them over and over so the medfords are basically quick to deduce that ants are uh, getting very big or at least are becoming very carnivorous uh, and very hungry for people and sure enough while investigating 
uh, out by where the trailer was, uh, they see a giant ant. And uh, they do discover that if they shoot the antennae, that's good, but machine gunning the shit out of their bodies really kind of works best. Um, But now they know for sure the giant ants are out here and they really need to find the nest very quickly. So while flying over the desert, they do see one of the ants carrying a human rib cage out of this hole. And uh, it's like there with a bunch of other like skulls and clothing and stuff like that, which uh, Pat Medford says like, well, it looks like we found the missing people. It's a really cool and kind of grisly scene. But uh, the army really just wants to bomb the hell out of the nest. But Dr. Medford thinks that that's probably a little bit too dangerous and it could end up dispersing the ants instead of frying them. So he suggests that they do use heat to basically keep the ants inside their nest and inside their tunnels, then use cyanide to gas them to death. So, uh, against you know graham and peterson's wishes pat does go with them after they've uh you know cyanide and gassed out the the nest to basically see what's going on and and her argument is look you need a scientist in there so that we know whether or not for sure we have killed the ants and that there's nothing more that we should be concerned about um and you know sure enough they do find that most of the ants are dead. There are still a few that, uh, that, that are still wandering around that they have to kill. But two queen eggs have hatched and the queen, uh, the young queen ants have escaped, uh, possibly with male ants, which is really, really bad. So Medford gives the army basically a lesson on how ants, um, function and how they think and it turns out that they're somewhat like humans knowing and understanding how war works and how they can be territorial and how they can basically basically cause the end of the human race because if the ants continue to reproduce humans will be extinct in about a year so Lots of reports start to come in all over the place, like a pilot reports encountering, encountering a UFO that's in the shape of an ant. That's Fess Parker. And it's that one scene that he has in this movie that Disney said, yep, that's our Davy Crockett. Um, uh, but then Medford then suggests that they pretty much start a search radius for these nests, uh, considering how many eggs a queen can lay if there are males that have been following the queens uh how many they can basically um fertilize and so on and so forth so he basically says we gotta start searching from as far south as panama to as far north as santa barbara california that's a huge huge radius that they're working on but uh, they're now uh, hearing about how boats are being attacked because boats uh, are docking in Mexico. They're loading up. They leaves the, the boats open all night. The queen is finding a nice place to drop a bunch of eggs. They hatch. They attack the boats. Everything is crazy. Um, and you know, so now uh, sugar is also being reported being stolen by the tonfuls. So, you know, you got 
sugar getting raided, people being attacked. Uh, there's a couple of kids that have gone missing. And this is just generally creating a very huge problem. So Graham and Peterson start interrogating basically anyone who might have seen the ants. And uh, the search leads them to Los Angeles, where the ants have basically used the sewers and the uh, drainage uh, overflow uh, ducts that run underneath the city that uh, also leads out into the Los Angeles River, that that famous non-river that's a river. Uh, Peterson does end up uh, locating the nest, uh, but is ultimately killed from the injuries that he sustains while uh, saving the missing kids that were reported in Los Angeles from these ants. Uh, Graham ends up finishing off the hive with the army and Medford is basically left to ponder what other missteps man has made with his entry into the atomic age. All right, let's talk about my three likes about this. This movie is a really, really good movie. It's uh, just to say that up uh, off the top of my head, I'm picking only three things to specifically talk about, but trust me, this movie is actually one of the better giant monster movies. Um, first and foremost, the cast in this is really, really good. Um, last week, I had talked about how you had a, a younger scientist and an older mentor that seemed to work really, really well off of each other. Well, in this, you have a pair that are working really, really well off of each other. Between James Whitmore and James Arness, um, they are both protection-minded people, one just being a cop, the other being an FBI agent. They respect the hell out of one another, even if they have slightly different methods to get to something, and they seem like all they want to do is to protect people and to do the you know do the thing that needs to be done to get rid of these ants. Um, it's kind of funny. There's a story that that goes where you know, of course James Arness is like six foot seven or something like that. Um, James Whitmore was probably no taller than me at like five nine or something. Supposedly, uh, James Whitmore uh, would wear. Uh, lifts in his shoes to try to not look so short around James Arness when they're doing scenes together. But quite frankly, uh, he still looks pretty short next to James Arness. But uh, another funny story about Whitmore is, is that he's the type of person who, when he's doing a scene and he's talking, he will do more than just say the lines. He will move around the scene. He will use his hands. He'll pick up something from a table. Um, he's always doing something so that while he's talking or while he's doing a scene, people's eyes are drawn to him. And it's kind of funny because it almost seems like James Whitmore is like, he's really trying to earn that top billing. But what's funny is, is that he also comes across as the action guy of the pair. James Arness is doing just as much investigative work. He ends up getting the girl, more or less, which was played by uh, Joan Weldon. Um, and she's quite good in this, too. I'll talk about her in just a second. But, uh, but it's, James Whitmore is the star of this movie, and he is the action star of this movie, too. He is constantly, like, flamethrower and... Uh, ants all over the place and shooting them with machine guns and stuff. It's um, he's he's so low key as the primary action star because they're both very rigid and very by the book people. But James Whitmore is quick to use a flamethrower or a machine gun if somebody's in trouble, and it's kind of awesome. Um, but as I said, Joan Weldon, who played uh, Dr. Pat Medford, who's um, uh, every bit as competent as her dad. It's just that her dad is still alive and the leading 
ant guy, uh, but she holds her own very well against the two action heroes, against a room full of government people and army people. Uh, she's a very, very good um, leading lady and she you know she's pretty but she's also very stern and very you know I know what I'm doing I know what I'm talking about you follow what I have to say uh, and then Edmund Gwynn is just kind of this little old grandpa guy who uh, who also uh, is is really good in this movie too just generally speaking this is a really good collective of actors while you still have the two leads who are the two action stars basically uh, they play off of each other really really well but they also work very well because they have a lot of scenes with Gwen and Weldon that end up making them um, just a, a really good ensemble second uh, I'm going to go with the uh, ant effects in this. Now, unlike a lot of the big monster movies of the time where you would either have uh, specific actors in suits like with the Godzilla characters uh, or you would have uh, artists like... Um, you know, like your Willis O'Brien or your Harryhausen who is doing miniatures and doing stop-motion type stuff. You know, it's, this is all very mechanical, uh, this is a team of people from Warner Brothers effects department just building these giant ants. And at times there are three or four or five of these giant ants in a single scene. And um, now while being large doesn't really help them look any more um, realistic, they do work very, very well in this movie and uh and they look like they really are there this is not using those camera tricks that we'll see with like the giant behemoth where um the the stop motion character is, is dropped into uh the live action stuff or uh stuff like tarantula where you have a real tarantula being filmed to scale and then being blown up and superimposed into the movie it's not those types of effects these are real like practical mechanical creatures and i love that sort of thing and they while they don't necessarily look like real ants they look like they really belong with the actors and um when when they're sitting next or when they're standing next to a carcass of one of these things yeah that's a dead ant that they're standing next to um you know so it, it really kind of helps put you that much more into the danger that much more into the movie itself finally i really 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 like the tone of this movie this movie is not a sci-fi drive-in you know guys bring your gals and and try to feel them up at the drive-in type of movie that just plays in the background this is a for real drama uh it is it 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 takes itself very seriously, but not in a way that it makes you feel um, that 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 you can make fun of. Like there are real stakes here. The stakes are are delivered at with a plum, but not with too much, right? Like there's uh, there there is a real there, there's like a real thing going on here, and people are relaying that properly and with the right amount of emotion and the right amount of um uh, of feeling and you know and it helps that you have these two guys like the two jameses whitmore and arnes who are taking this very seriously and doing and still doing their job while also keeping a lid on everything that's going on 
uh, and it's you know they don't want to get it out to the people because they don't want to create a panic they don't want to create uh, a problem of any kind with uh, people all of a sudden um, you know looting or being scared or whatever but they are taking it very very seriously and I think that that's something that should uh, really kind of stand out in this movie this movie is much more of a drama than it is your classic um, monster movie it's it it really kind of lines up really really well with something like Godzilla which is much more of a drama it does have something to say about the atomic age it does have something to um, to, to really kind of play up to and, and play along with so for that, uh, I definitely have to give it high marks for, for taking itself seriously and appropriately seriously. All right, so that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of Monster Mondays each Monday on FilmSeizure.com, as well as places where fine podcasts are found like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and now you can find us on Amazon. Uh, you can listen to us through... Um, through audible which is connected to amazon but you don't need a subscription to uh, prime or to audible or anything like that to be able to listen additionally you can hop on over to facebook and twitter to follow us by just searching for film seizure and while you're at it head over to my website www.bmovieenema.com and uh, read a new text article and review each and every Friday from me. Uh, but if you also want to watch a movie, there's now an episodic B-Movie Enema, the series, that you can find on YouTube. New episodes will be coming out every Saturday from January 2nd to March 27th, 2021. So come watch a full movie with me on YouTube. Uh, just go over to YouTube and search for B-Movie Enema. And... Uh, you can subscribe to the channel there, but you can also just head over to bmovieinema.com and uh, watch the movies there as well. So until next week, stay spooky. <laughs>